0: Luke chapter 3 verses 21 through 38. We are we are continuing to work our way through the book of Luke. Luke chapter 3 verses 21 through 38. Let me read this passage and then we'll pray. Says Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the Son as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Malki, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Ezli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josech, the son of Jodah, brother of Yoda, the son of, no, the son of, um, the son of Jonan, just seeing if you zoned out, the son of Jonan, the son of Risa. The son of Zerubbabel. The son of Shealtiel. The son of Neri. The son of Melchi, The son of Adai. The son of Kosam. The son of Almadam. The son of Ur. The son of Joshua. The son of Eleazar. The son of Joram. The son of Mathat. The son of Levi. The son of Simeon. The son of Judah. The son of Joseph. The son of Jonam. The son of Eliakim. The son of Meliah. The son of Menah. The son of Matatha. The son of Nathan. The son of David. The son of Jesse. The son of Obed. The son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nation, the son of Amenadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Rio, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Canaan? The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for this passage. And we pray that you would help us to know more of who Jesus is and be more willing and ready to believe his gospel and to follow him. We pray that you would help us today as we look into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, I've talked to you guys before or some of you, I've talked to some of you about the kind of person I was when I was a uh, a freshman in college. I was not um, I I was not a I was not in a great place, we'll say that. When I was a freshman in college, I had a bad attitude about a lot of things um, and uh, I was just a I was sort of a just sort of a mess. And um, I remember uh, when I was in uh in my second semester at college, I had this brilliant idea. I had all kinds of brilliant ideas that year. None of them panned out. Um, none of them were worth it. Uh, but I, I, I did the math and I figured out that I could pass, um, English Comp 102, which is what it was called then. English, like freshman English, the second semester of it. I could pass it without doing the research paper. The, the research paper was like the, that was the big thing in that semester. And it was like uh, it was like twenty five percent of the grade or something like that. And I just figured out, you know what? If I just if I get hundred percent, if I ace everything else this semester, um, I can I can just completely skip the research paper. And I, for some reason, I thought that was cool. I don't remember why. I was going to stick it to the teacher, or I was going to I don't I don't remember why. Um, I do know why I I wanted to skip the research paper though. Note cards. You guys, some of you, like, are too young, probably, for note cards. They probably don't do note cards in a school anymore, which is probably what's wrong with America. But anyhow, you, you have note cards back in the day. So you do a 12-page research paper, and your, and your tyrannical, oppressive professor would say, you got to give me, like, 1,400 note cards or something. I don't remember how many it was. It was a ridiculous number of note cards. So you got to, like, read through a bunch of material and then make notes... Uh, you know, you write down different things from each of the books or articles that you think is important, and, uh, and then you have all of these note cards, and you got to hand that in for part of your grade so that they, I don't know, it was ridiculous. I, um, it was just the man trying to keep me down is what it was, but um, I was like, ah, I'm, I'm going to skip the note cards, I'm going to skip the whole research paper, and I failed English 101, and I had to do it again. Anyhow, um, so it was just a terrible... Idea, um, but I didn't do the note cards, so I still have a bunch of index cards. If you guys want them, I have like a thousand three by five cards in my house somewhere. I'm sure left over from college. Um, and and the thing though that I've learned is that note cards are actually a pretty good idea. Um, not actual three by five index cards. No one needs that kind of oppression in their life. But like just but keeping track of what you read and if you read something important writing it down somehow or or highlighting it somehow keeping track of it somehow is a really good idea and so what we're going to do today in our sermon is we're going to do a little bit more research on the life of Jesus and we're not here just to write a research paper we're we're here um, to be more and more convinced that we need to believe his gospel and that we need to follow him joyfully courageously faithfully and so we've got three note cards from our, from our passage in the book of Luke. We have three note cards that are going to help us to understand Jesus better. So that's what we're going to do this morning for our sermon. Three note cards. We have to, we have to make note of these three facts, these three truths, if we're going to understand what Luke wants us to understand from his Gospel, from these verses here today. Note card number one. Jesus is the beloved Son of God. This is the preeminent thing in this passage. This is the huge thing in this passage. The way Luke writes this, he is making sure we understand this is the big truth. Note card number one, Jesus is the beloved Son of God. Let me read that baptism story for you again. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus, in verse 21, Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So we have to imagine this together. We have to try to think about this. Okay, you've got John the Baptist, and he's out there, and he's out there in the river, and, and the people are coming to him. There's a huge crowd of people. And John the Baptist has been, has been preaching to the people, you need to repent of your sins, the kingdom of God is at hand, and then he's baptizing people. Um, and, and so people are asking him, John, are, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? And John says, no, 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 no. He puts the kibosh on that really quickly, he says, no, I am not the Messiah. The One who is coming after me is far mightier than I I am. My baptism is just sort of a picture of His baptism. He will be able to save you. He will save His people. He will be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will judge those who reject Him. The true Christ is coming. So John announces that, and then not too, too long after that, here comes Jesus to John to be baptized. And as Jesus is baptized, something crazy happens. The heavens open up. And this this happened every once in a while in the Old Testament, but not very often. The heavens open up. and And then the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus. Now, that happened in the Old Testament too. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll hear about the Spirit of God rushing on someone, um, um, filling someone, equipping someone for for a certain like really special tasks that they had to do. It happened quite a bit through the Old Testament, but but you never saw it. You saw the effects of it when when Samson was filled with the Spirit, or when Saul was filled with the Spirit, or when David was filled with the Spirit. You saw the effects of it. But you didn't see the, the, the Spirit of God Himself actually descend on someone. This is new. So the people around Jesus saw in some way the Spirit of God in some sort of bodily form descend upon Jesus like a, like a dove would. The people are seeing that. They're watching that. And then they hear the voice of God the Father come from the heavens You, talking right to Jesus, you are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. This is the God of the heavens. This is is the Creator of the universe. This is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God of the Exodus. The the one true God who dwells in holiness and majesty and authority. And He has spoken. And He has said about this man who no one knew before He he showed up. Even John the Baptist, who um, probably hadn't, uh, you know, hung out with Jesus since they were both in you know their separate mothers' wombs. So it'd been a long time. Probably hadn't seen him. John the Baptist wasn't even sure who he was. No one knows who Jesus is. He's just he's a, he's about thirty years old. He's a he's a carpenter from some dinky little town. He shows up to be baptized by John, and and this voice, the voice of God, says, "This is my beloved son. This man right here is my beloved son." What does that mean to be the beloved Son of God? Well, it means that the Father completely and unreservedly, and perfectly, loves Jesus. It means that Jesus is eternal, that, that even though his life on Earth began in uh, 30 years earlier in Bethlehem, his, his actual life, his actual existence as the pre-incarnate Christ, never began. He's always existed. And, and, and he's always been perfectly good, perfectly holy, never ever doing anything wrong. And he was never unhappy. He, he never needed anything. He was never dissatisfied. He has always been the perfectly happy, perfectly holy, perfectly loved Son of God. This is what it means for Jesus to be the beloved Son of God. We know that he had spent the last 30 years learning and growing. Growing in favor, growing in wisdom, growing in stature. We know that he, he wasn't born knowing everything, of course. That he had to grow into uh, even a self-understanding. We, we, we saw strong hints by the age of 12, he knew quite a bit of who he was. And now, for sure, he, he knows who he is and what his mission is. And now, everybody else who's, who's paying attention knows as well. Everyone else who's paying attention knows that, yes, this is the Son of God. Everyone who's witnessing this event right here, they've heard God the Father say, this is my beloved Son. He says, with you I am well pleased. Every time we hear God the Father make an announcement like this, we need to pay attention. We need to make note of it. And so that's what we're going to do first this morning. We are going to make a note that, that Jesus is the beloved Son of God. That's our first note card. Note card number one, Jesus is the beloved Son of God. Luke is making a big deal out of that, so we have to make note of it. And number two, note card number two, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Note card number two, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Now, we have to make a note of this because because it's a little bit surprising. It's a little bit surprising. This raises some questions. Jesus coming to John to be baptized. Because because we have to understand that since Jesus is the beloved Son of God, He's sinless. He doesn't have any sins. He never once sinned, Hebrews teaches us. He, He never sinned. So why did he need to be baptized? Baptism, when John preached baptism, it was about turning away from your sin. It was about making this, this public confession that I, I, I'm done with my sin. I want to turn my back on my sin. I want to be ready. I want to be humbly ready for the kingdom of God. I, 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 I don't want my sin anymore. I want the mercy of God. It's, baptism is for sinners, it seemed like. So why does Jesus need to be baptized? Well, the book of Matthew tells us that it was to fulfill all righteousness. When when Jesus is asked that very question by John the Baptist in the book of Matthew, Jesus says, I, I, I'm going to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Which means I'm going to do what a good, faithful Jew is supposed to do. If you think about it, Jesus did all kinds of stuff He didn't need to do. Did Jesus need the Passover meal? Did He need to go to the temple? Did He need to pay taxes? Did He need to submit to any of that stuff? No. No, He didn't. He created that stuff. He doesn't need to, 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 to submit to it. But He did anyway because He's going to fulfill all righteousness. He's going to perfectly obey His Father. He's going to come and He's going to live a perfect life. The, the life that you and I should have lived, He is going to do it. He's going to fulfill all righteousness. We have to make a note of that. That Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. He, he's going to fulfill all righteousness. But, so, but if you're a good researcher, though, you're still like, but why? I mean, I understand He came and He, he came to obey. He, he came to do what was right. He came to live a, a, a holy, perfect life. But, but if He's the perfect... Son of God, if He's the perfectly loved Son of God, if He's completely happy, completely holy, if He's not dissatisfied at all, why would He come and do this? What does He have to prove? What else is there? Why would He do this? We'll get there in a second. Um, But first, we just need to make a note of it. We have to understand Jesus was the it is the beloved Son of God. And we have to understand He was baptized by John the Baptist. And then third, our final note card. Note card number three. We have to see that Jesus was born into Adam's family tree. If we're going to understand Jesus, we have to get this piece of it as well. We have to make a note of this as well. Jesus was born into Adam's family tree. I read that genealogy earlier. I'm not going to read it again. Um, uh, but I I'm I, I do want to mention here, and maybe you've seen this already in your own Bible reading. Um, but if you read the genealogy in Matthew, a couple books earlier, you'd see it's different than this one. It's quite a bit different than this one. A lot of different names in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus and Luke's genealogy of Jesus. Um, and there's a few possible reasons for this. Um, I don't know what the, I don't know what the actual reason is, but there's a lot of good um possibilities. There's enough good possibilities that I'm not worried about like errors in the Bible or anything like that. Um, it's it's something like Matthew is giving us like Joseph's family tree and Luke is giving us Mary's family tree. Or it could be um something like um Jacob, who is Joseph's dad, uh died when Joseph was was very young, and so this man named Healy came in and um adopted Joseph. And so, so you have, like, Healy, the, the adopted father, you have his family tree, or you have, you have Jacob, Joseph's, like, birth father, you have his family tree. It's something along those lines. Um, I know that both genealogies are correct, I've just, and I know they, they're choosing to highlight different things, I'm just not sure why. Um, and there's a lot more theories, too. If you want to ask, I can give you, like, seven more in descending order of things that I think might possibly be true. Um, but what we do want to highlight here, what we do want to focus on is that last verse, verse 38. There's a lot of things we could highlight from, uh, from Luke's genealogy of Jesus, but we want, to, we want to just spend a couple minutes looking at verse 38. The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Jesus was the son of Adam. He was the descendant of Adam. Adam, And He was the beloved son of God. Jesus is, is descended from Adam. He is the distant son of Adam. He's born into Adam's family tree. And He is the beloved son of God. Perfectly divine, completely holy son of God. So, Jesus is the only person ever to choose the family He would be born into. Jesus is the only person ever to choose the family He would be born into. And He chose this one. He chose the family of Adam. He chose chose you and me. This this family tree is littered with with sinners and sufferers. We're not going to highlight the different... Men mentioned in this genealogy, um, but it, there are thieves and murderers and adulterers and scoundrels. This is a very, this is a, a very appropriate representation of humanity. This is who we are. The, the rotten fruit from Adam's family tree has been poisoning the world since the Garden of Eden. Jesus, this is the family tree Jesus chose to be born into. He chose to be born as a son of Adam. Into all of our sin and shame and broken relationships. In and amongst all of our sick and hurting bodies, our sick and hurting minds, our sick and hurting hearts. Into all of our disease, into all of our dementia, into all of our death. Why would the beloved Son of God, the perfectly holy, perfectly happy, perfectly loved Son of God, do this? Why would He come to be baptized? Why would He come to obey? Why would He come to live the life we should have lived but never could have lived even if we wanted to? Why did He come to fulfill all righteousness? You put those three note cards together and you've got yourself a question. You've got the beloved Son of God, being baptized by John and being born into Adam's family tree. Well, that question why, and I know obviously many of you have many answers for that. And Luke is going to give us even more answers as we work our way through this wonderful Gospel. But I want to highlight something from today's passage. I want to point out something from today's passage because we actually have a really good clue of why Jesus did this. Back in verse 22, and I still can't just get over the scene trying to imagine the baptism of Jesus. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in bodily form like a a dove would and and a voice comes from heaven, You are My beloved Son. With You I am well pleased. What we have to understand is that when God the Father says this, when He he publicly says this, he He is intentionally drawing our minds back To a couple of wonderful Old Testament promises. God is, as it were, kind of quoting the Old Testament when He says, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. One of the, one of the promises that He is alluding to here, that He's drawing our mind back to, would, comes in Isaiah 42. In the book of Isaiah, God, in four different songs, God describes the Messiah. He describes the Christ. He calls him, we call him the, the servant songs. And they're about this Messiah who is going to come and He's going to make things right. He's going to come and He's going to suffer and He's going to make things right. And in Isaiah 42, one of these servant songs where God is describing the Messiah that He has chosen, He says in Isaiah 42, Behold My servant, whom I uphold, My chosen, in whom My soul delights, I have put My Spirit upon him. So when God the Father says this is the One in whom I delight, when God the Father publicly says this is My Son, this is the One I have chosen, this is the One that I love, and then He puts His Spirit upon Him, God is drawing our minds and our hearts back to Isaiah 42. This Messiah, this Christ, this Chosen One, This is the one that that the Father publicly endorses. He is the one the Father publicly delights in. He is the beloved one, and he is the one who the Spirit is upon. This is God telling us Jesus is that servant from the book of Isaiah. This is Him. He is my chosen Messiah. This is Him. So now we, we see that this is what God is bringing our mind to. What is it that the servant does? What makes this servant so special? He, so, he says, my servant who I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. My, my, my guy. The one I delight in. The one I have chosen. The one I endorse. The one I put my spirit upon. Isaiah 42 says, He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up His voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed He will not break and a faintly burning wick He will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. What we see here is we see why Jesus Came. Why the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Why did He do this? The One who, who, the one who created the idea of the Passover and the idea of the temple. He designed it. He came up with it. Why would He come and submit to it? Why would He come and obey what we were supposed to obey? on our behalf why would he come to be perfectly righteous why did he humble himself cuz that's who he is he's not going to cry aloud he's not going to brag he's not going to beat his chest he's not going to say look at me he's come he's come for you and me he's come for the bruised reed and the faintly burning wick these are the people who are just at the end of their rope these are the people who cannot win. This is this is you, and this is me. We are the faintly burning wicks. We are the which which is just like the, the very end of a cigarette that you would just kind of that you would just kind of uh, rub out with your foot. The bruised reed is is worthless. You just you just crash it uh, you crush it underneath your boot. You're, the, these are this is this is the this is the people who are who are no longer worth anything. You just kind of step over them. and Go about your day. That's who you and I were. We are struggling through a world where our own sin and the sins of others are just wearing us out. We are exhausted. We have, we have sins in our life that we just we're never going to stop committing these things. We have people we're never going to be reconciled with. We have doubts and we have confusion and we have loneliness and we are exhausted. We are faintly burning wicks. We are sinners. We are sufferers. Jesus humbly came for us. And he came to bring forth justice. And this is what I really want to talk about. That first stuff is really good. This is even better. He will not Isaiah 42:4 says, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. So we get exhausted and we give up. We give in. We say, I can't, I can't fix anything. I can't do it. I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel. Jesus never grows faint. And He never, never gives up. He will never give up until He has established justice. Now, what we have to understand here is what justice means. What we have to understand is what justice means. What, what God means by justice. Because the the, the first part of it we talked about this last week. The, the the first part of it is that is that everybody who trusts in Jesus as their savior, they will be saved. They will be forgiven of their sins. They will be with God forever. So I hope and I pray that you have trusted Jesus Christ as your as your Savior. And, 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 and the, those who reject Him, those who rebel, are going to receive punishment. The punishment that they deserve. And so Jesus is that cornerstone. Some people will trust in Him, and some people will trip over Him. And justice will be served. Justice will be served. Those who trust in Christ will be blessed forever. Those who refuse will be judged but that's just the beginning because when god talks about justice he doesn't just mean legal justice he doesn't just mean legal justice he the, the word there has the same kind of idea that there are like our word for blueprint it's the design of something it's the way god wants things to be it's the way god wants to to restore things so Imagine with me. This is a terrible. I mean, this is a a heartbreaking illustration, but it is also um, just just a a very appropriate one. Imagine that um, your your neighbor's son is uh, is murdered. Someone comes in and murders your neighbor's son. And 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 imagine with me that that murderer gets arrested. He gets arrested, he gets convicted, and he gets either put in prison for the rest of his life, or maybe he even gets the death penalty. Just imagine that he gets legal justice. That murderer um, killed that boy, and so he gets he gets justice. He gets legal justice. But then ask yourself ha- have we really made things right? Have we really done restoration? Is that, or is that family still suffering? Is that family ever going to stop suffering? The family who lost that boy, they're, they're always going to suffer. They're going to suffer for the rest of their lives. And there's no amount of legal justice that's going to make that right. Like, you can't, what are you going to do? How are you going to make that right? Through, through what, you can't, how much can you punish that murderer in order to make? those people stop grieving over their son? How could you possibly fill that hole that's just there now? How could, you, how could you take that grief away? How could you restore those people? Could you do that? No. Cannot. Jesus can. That's the point of this. The point of this is that one day, Jesus is going to actually restore us. He's going to actually restore us. Because here's the thing, there are, there are ways in which your sin, and the sins of others, and just then the sin of the world has broken you. You have loneliness, you have emptiness, you have doubts, you have fears, you, you have grief. You're, it's, it's, for one thing, you're only going to get more of it as you live. You're only going to face more hardships as you live, and the hardships that you have faced... No amount of legal justice, no amount of apologies, no amount of anything is going to make that better. Is going to make you just, yeah, I, I feel good now. But Jesus is not going to rest until He brings forth actual justice. Which, which means, in the life to come, you, you are actually going to be whole and, and happy. Your griefs, are going to actually be gone. Your losses are going to actually be filled. Your emptinesses are going, to be, are going to be filled. You're going to be made whole. Jesus is going to put things actually right. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know how he's going to do it. But all of the ways where you are, where you are sad and where you are scared, some of you are, are so scared. You're so scared. You're afraid of what people are going to think of you. You're afraid of what people are saying about you. You're afraid that people aren't going to actually understand you. You're just afraid of being alone. You're you're afraid that the the 70 years of your life were wasted. You want to get it all back, but you don't want to go through all that again. And you're, you're never going to feel completely okay. We don't. We can't. It's part of the curse. It's part of the fall. We have places within us that we just can't fix. You can't throw money at it. You can't throw the legal system at it. You can't throw politics at it. You can't throw a billion apologies at it. You You just can't. You can't. Jesus can fix it. Jesus is going to fix it. One day you are going to be whole. You're not going to be scared. You're not going to be afraid. You're not going to be lonely. You're not going to be sad. You're not going to be filled with doubt. You're not going to be apathetic. You're not going to be jaded. All of the stuff that sin, your own sin, the sins of others, sin in general, all of it that sin has stolen from you, Jesus is going to give back. He's going to make it right. So I encourage you this morning, because that's true, then, then right now, let's believe his gospel and let's, let's follow him joyfully, courageously, faithfully. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for sending your son to come and to, to rescue us and to just rescue us completely. And we look forward to the day when you, when you bring forth actual justice. We, we look forward to the day where you make all things right and you wipe away every tear. We look forward to that day. Help us to believe that that day is coming and help us to believe it so much that we, that we believe the Gospel and we proclaim the Gospel as, other, as the only hope. And we follow Jesus because we trust Him. Help us, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.